Your life, your country. You're listening to The Laura Ingram Show. Hey, I hope you're all enjoying The Laura Ingram Show. And remember, we're going to continue to post some of my best interviews and clips here. But to listen to all of the new episodes, you'll need to head over to Quake Media. It's really easy. Just go to quakemedia.com slash Laura and sign up today. That's quakemedia.com slash Laura. Thanks for listening. Well, this is where we are. We had a raucous last four years where the establishment was challenged at pretty much every turn uh, by this administration, the Trump administration, on the issue of trade, on China, on immigration, on uh, gun rights, uh, across the board, challenged on the issue of the vaccine, where we were told that it wasn't possible to turn around a vaccine in record time. And the establishment medical community said that would be too dangerous. Uh, It would be uh, foolhardy to raise people's hopes. And Trump said, no, just watch us. And obviously they devoted a huge amount of money to getting that done. But at every turn, the establishment was challenged and in many cases embarrassed uh, by this administration. Uh, There were setbacks along the way, the most notably, of course, the uh, China virus in the United States, which turned the the tables on our economy, took away our freedom, led to all these ridiculous lockdowns, the rise of Anthony Fauci and the medical political cartel that uh, had been hiding any good developments or obscuring any good developments in uh, this virus regarding its lethality and uh, everything we knew about therapeutics that were working and showing because all of that was kind of pushed to the to the side to continue to stoke panic and freak out and and we are where we are. And so these Georgia races, uh, I said the day after the election, all focus should be on changing the electoral rules that would allow for continued uh, manipulation of the vote counting or the the way mail-in ballots were, you know, were verified or not. These drop box ballots uh, in the future, we have to get rid of these uh runoffs, these jungle primaries where you you actually could win by 100,000 votes, but suddenly be subject to a runoff and all this California money, which poured into the state. And and then the circular firing squad over the last you know eight weeks that really, I think, did mark much of what was happening in Georgia politics. And here we are with the Democrats, you know, poised to take power with a very slim 50-50 Kamala Harris breaking ties majority in the uh, U.S. Senate. And now everything is on the line. Uh, Joining us now is a man who has written so many books predicting much of what we've seen uh, with the both rise of Trump and more of a populist America first conservatism and the inevitable, in some ways, decline of a power that refuses to stand up for its own worth, its founding, its borders, its culture, its language, uh, suicide of a superpower, death of the West, right from the beginning. I'm really going back now. Pat Buchanan, advisor to several U.S. presidents, uh, thinker extraordinaire, and just Pat, they call you the last of the Mohicans. And I think, can you even say Mohicans anymore? Is that allowed? (laughs) 
I think that was Ching Kong Gotchkook. Wasn't that the actual fellow? <laughs> yeah, it was. Only you would pull out that name. Pat, uh, look, there are a lot of dejected and demoralized people out there. And and I say, you know, look, look, the Democrats, you don't think they were dejected in 2016? You don't think they were dejected in 2004? Uh, and yet you burrow down, you, you, you learn some lessons, I hope, and then you dust yourself off and get back, back on the uh, field. But before we get into what's next, tell us about what you think happened and why it happened. Well, I, I think that uh, Donald Trump did what you stated. One issue after issue after issue, he presented a new challenge and, and new possibilities and made major gains in area after area. But at the end, because he was such an extraordinarily controversial figure, the election of uh, 2020, I consider Biden as just sort of an X factor there. It was about Trump. He got 74, 75 million votes, and he got about 80 million votes against him. He was the most controversial president by far in our lifetime. He made some mistakes, and he brought down things upon him that he need not do, but he also had great achievements. But at the end of this week, there's no doubt about it, Laura. We're going to wind up with two United States senators, I think, from Georgia who are Democrats, liberal Democrats to boot. And you're going to wind up with Joe Biden validated and on his way to be inaugurated on the 20th of January. But it's not the end of the world. The Joe Biden is now has power. The Schumer will have power. Pelosi will have power. And they will also have full responsibility for the government of the United States and its problems with very narrow margins in both houses of Congress. And a president for whom the American people, in my judgment, didn't really go out and give a mandate to. They simply chose him as the alternative to Donald Trump. So I don't think Republicans really should be bring out the crying towel, but I mean they should get prepared. The season is over. The Super Bowl was lost. You're going to have to admit it. But the season starts again very, very soon. In Pat... The simple matter uh, of how ballots are verified, the time frame in which they are counted, these idiotic jungle primaries and runoff elections, as we saw with Purdue, who won by 100,000 votes on, in, on Election Day. Uh, we saw Ron DeSantis, Rick Scott, they cleaned up this mess in their own state. And well, they... you're talking about states' rights, state right. obligations. Right. I agree with you. But I will say the, the pandemic and the opening it gave to Democrats oh, yeah. and various legislatures and even Republicans who weren't thinking to allow, you know, this massive direct mail balloting and, you know, send out, said, would you like to have a ballot? Just send in this and you got one. And the long term time frame in which all the voting goes on and the manner in which it's done, I think it's no doubt if this were a normal election, I think uh, Trump would have won the Electoral College. Well, and I, again, this is going to have to be done on a state by state basis. And as we know, it's very difficult to take away things once they're granted to people. The Democrats Again, I'm talking about learning lessons going forward, and you and I have been through a lot of these moments in political history where people are just so dejected, they think it's over, we're never going to win back, we're never going to get power, America's gone. And, I mean, history continues to unfold. And 
the Democrats kind of burrowed in and Stacey Abrams, whatever people think of her, she's a far left Democrat, Black Lives Matter supporter, reparations supporter. But but what she also did is she decided she was going to spend every waking hour building her own brand and galvanizing the black vote in Georgia. And that's what she did. And and she, she, sure she did. yeah, I mean, she did it. The what did we do? The Democrats, the Democrats have managed this over the long term by a number of ways. One, which we've been talking about, changing the election laws, enlarging the electorate, making it easier to vote, making it less problematic, opening the doors even to invalid and fraudulent ballots. At the same time, mass immigration into the United States to alter the character of the American electorate. I mean, uh, Georgia... Georgia is no longer part of the Red Wall. Nope. Right now, it is. It is. It's become not quite like Virginia, which has been lost to Republicans almost for good, but it is moving in that direction. As are the American states of the South and the others. You can go back. I go all the way back to, you know, to Nixon '68 and '72, where he put together the 49 vote majority, 49 states, and Reagan 44 states, and then 49 states. And gradually, you've seen attrition here because of, of democracy. You know, those huge amounts, huge numbers of voters in their middle ages are dying out now. And the, and the number of new immigrants coming in are mainly from the third world. They are heavily dependent upon social welfare programs. They don't pay any, basically, any income taxes, the majority of them. What Romney said was in politics, but not altogether wrong. And so I think that to the degree that these this constituencies grow in number as they are as they're younger, and the older folks who have given these majorities to Reagan and, and, and Bush, I mean Bush one, and to Nixon, uh, they're moving on, and so it is a changed America. There's no doubt about it. It's a changed country. It's a new country. It is interesting to see that that map that we reviewed a few weeks ago of the predominantly. Hispanic counties that went for Trump in record numbers in in 2020 and also the Asian communities that are seeing their businesses closed. So I do think that that obviously you and I could not be in more agreement on the immigration front, completely uncontrolled and all sold by cheap, you know, all, all paid for by cheap labor, which is why the market's going up today, because they see endless spending and cheap labor as far as the eye can see. So that's why the markets are up. Um, but look, this, this also doesn't work. We know these policies don't work. They don't deliver more prosperity or even a better life. You could, you could look no further than the once beautiful city of Minneapolis, Minnesota, Pat, a city I know well. Exactly. And exactly. It's Portland. Oh I mean, my I God. Nixon, Portland at the Benson Hotel. I can't, matter of fact, today, uh, Bobby Kennedy won his primary and uh, or lost his first primary ever lost by a Kennedy in Portland. I was out there and was right at the door when he came in the front door that night a week before he was shot. But Portland was considered a beautiful sort of moderate city, yep. very calm and very Pacific with a small P. And now, you you know, now it's one of the leading uh, leading areas of violence and anarchy and, and, and downtown trashings. And it's the same in Minneapolis was the same way at the same reputation. Well, and again, people are fleeing cities because cities don't work. And just because multinational corporations are going to cash in and 
Amazon and all these companies going to continue to make record profits in this in this new year, it certainly won't mean that people are going to live better lives. Most people are not going to live better lives. And I, I do think, and just going back to this last two months, just focus on the last two months, people became exhausted, I think, uh, in many cases. Trump had record turnout, record, uh, you know, incredible turnout. But I think around the edges, there was a sense of ex- sheer exhaustion. Of- I think so. I'll tell you, in a, in a crucial moment, I think, I mean, look, between thee and me, you know, Joe Biden, someone I saw in a letter to the editor of the Post had a good line. He said, how many of you would feel comfortable if Joe Biden were the bus driver of the bus that takes your kids to school? You know, in other words, he's not really all there now. And the idea that I thought Trump would utilize in the first debate was basically start up and say, ask him questions, let him just lay out his case. And I think Trump in that first debate, when you talk about exhaustion, people said, can I sustain this intensity for four more years? Everybody agrees Trump's done some terrific things. And, I mean, you talk about, for example, the uh, ISIS was finished off under Donald Trump in his first two years. But at the same time, there's a sense of exhaustion and, and, I mean, too much. And people want to just say, let's have a period of normalcy now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why some people voted against Trump. But again, the whole issue in the campaign, my view is that, that Biden was just sort of a neuter in there. He was an acceptable X if you didn't want Y. Mm-hmm. And people voted for Trump by 75 million, a huge number. And then 80 million, they said, we just like to change from where we're going. And the yeah. only change is to vote for that guy on the other side. Well, and I think uh, people, people when they voted against Trump for Biden, I don't think a lot of voters were thinking, well, this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, and China's going to overtake our economy, and then dollar will be devalued more. We might lose international standing as the uh, international currency, you know, where wages will go flat again. I don't think, again, everything becomes so emotional and you layered the pandemic on top of it. If it weren't for the pandemic, you probably, probably would have won. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah. I think if it weren't for the pandemic, I mean, look, I mean, good heavens. I mean, what did Trump, Trump at the beginning say in February? He'd rolled back that stupid impeachment effort by Schiff and all the rest of them, and the only vote they got was Romney on one of two counts. And he was, the economy was moving along smartly. Unemployment among African Americans, Hispanics, women, down to all time lows, things were going well. All of a sudden, you got the worst pandemic in 100 years, the worst crash since the Great Depression, and riots and disorders unlike anything seen since 1968. And Trump had to deal with that and having the the media against him, the establishment against him, the academic community against him. And so I think in in that sense, and then run up the massive record that he did. I mean, I've heard that anti-Trumpers say they were astonished at how well he did as a consequence those rallies, and you give the guy credit as an individual mm-hmm. for taking the abuse he did and going out to the three rallies a day with those intense hour-long things at his age, and, and it, it was extraordinary. Well, and again, Republican legislatures, state legislatures, and Republican governors, in some cases, 
refuse to follow the law in their own states on election verification. And you can't enter into consent decrees if you don't have the consent of the governed. And that's exactly what happened in Georgia. Everyone was freaking out. Stacey Abrams made everything racial and Brian Kemp wet his pants. I'm sorry, but Brian Kemp, you know, I'm not blaming everything on him, but Brian Kemp did not help that state. And well, there's a lot of, in a lot of states, you're right. The only way you can get these things through when you've got Republican legislatures or Republican governors is that they go along with the programs that's being put together by people that want to move them out of office permanently. And if they do that, that's where they wind up. Right. And so at this, at this point, Pat, what happens with this movement, this conservative populist movement, the Bushies and the never Trumpers, and it's a very small percentage of the party, but they're well-funded. And they're they're backed by Wall Street and and other forces, but the populist conservative movement, the MAGA movement, where does that go? What what happens with them? Their energy? Who's I mean, who's the leader? Is Trump still the leader of that? With everything that's happened? Well, I I'm, I'm inclined to believe that Trump is really sui generis. You can't replace him. These, uh, you can't succeed him the way, for example, a Nixon could have succeeded in Eisenhower. Uh, and, I mean, it's just the persona as well as the uh, issues. But I do believe this. The issues, for example, you, I saw somewhere where 280,000 people or something have come into the country illegally since in the last two months or something like that. The issue of the border, I mean, if you don't have secure borders, you don't have a country anymore. And that issue is not going to go away. The issue of crime is not going to go away. Uh, I think the the issue of the, you know, free trade is not coming back. I don't think transnationalism and globalism, I don't think that is really has any real appeal. I really question myself the U.S. commitments abroad to all these potential wars and to fight for all these allies. My view is that one of these days the American people are going to get up and say, why are we why, why are we doing all this? Why are we required to do this? And so I think it's going to be a great change. It's going to hit the country. I mean, when I wrote that that book, Suicide of a Superpower, I took the year, you know, can the mm-hmm. public survive to 2025? And in, in terms of, of how we're doing things and what we're doing, I just don't know that you can sustain that. But, you know, can the, uh, the take, what is the consequence of, of a Biden presidency and Democrat, the House and Senate controlled by Schumer and controlled by Pelosi and their policies if they put them through. I don't think they're going to do well for the people. So I think you've got temporarily in 2022, I think you're going to have a, a tremendous backlash and Republicans could readily take both houses of Congress. By then you could have Kamala Harris in the presidency. So yeah. I think the possibilities politically are better than they are in terms of my concerns about the the endemic problems of the American Republic. Well, and I think, again, it's a sugar high after you win. I mean, it always feels feels good and feel like you and have you the world. You get a sugar high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they have a, they, you know. It, they have excited can you be about that. Well, and I think, again, it's always, it's always more difficult than it seems to, to, push forward real radical change on the United States. 
it, it, it always seems like, oh, we won. We're going to be able to do X, Y, and Z, and it's over, and you guys will never win again. And that's just never how it works. And I think people have to get a, a sense of historical perspective here. As far left as the Democrat Party is today, I do not believe that with all the money they spent in Georgia, they were out, they were outspent the Republicans. They clearly outorganized the Republicans in Georgia. They still almost lost. So again, if if you're gonna spend that much money, have that much social media help, all the things that they had in an advantage over Republicans in the in the Georgia runoffs, and they still was, you know, it was a razor thin margin. I don't know. I think there's a, I think there's a lot of opportunity, and and uh, there there is opportunity. I think we're talking though, sort of politics, Republican versus Democrat. Mm-hmm. But I think the center of, of gravity of the country of the of the American people. This is just a different a different country from the one I grew up in. You know, oh, I was yeah. thinking the other day, not only are God, the Ten Commandments, the Bible, everything thrown out of the public schools, out of the public square. You've got the situation where the statues beginning with the Confederates go down, and now Lincoln's going down in Washington and Jefferson. All the monuments are going to be changed and, and again, thrown out even the public schools up where I grew up in northwest D.C. Their names are being changed and everything. It's, uh, I mean, it's one line I heard more than any other, even when I was running in those two or three races in the 90s. You go up along that fence rope line, and guys would reach out, and women would reach out and say, "Pat, it's not the country we grew up in." Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's just a truism in the country. The kids now, and you know, growing up who are teenagers in their early twenties, they're not didn't grow up. They're not growing up in the country that we grew up in. No, no, nothing. I mean, look, nothing ever stays the same. It's never going to stay the same. However, uh, there has to be an undying effort on the part of those of us who still do remember that country to say the continuity. Yeah. Well, I mean, because look, I, I, it's like anything, it, no, it's not fun to just be in a place that rips everything down, everything down every five years. Well, that's offensive. Rip it down. That's offensive. Rip it down. That's offensive. Rip it down. That at some point that doesn't become a fun place to be. Just just talking about fun and enjoyment and feeling good about yourself. Like who wants to live in a country or start a business in a country that's an awful rotten racist country? Like why why would we want to spend a minute exporting our values abroad since we are founded, according to these leftists, only on the basis of of slave labor? We really without that we wouldn't have had a country. So by their argument, we you know we we should just let China take over right now. Well, you know, I've thought myself, you know, look, we talk about democracy, small d democracy. My own view has always been to favor the word the republic with a capital R. But if, if this is what it means, the, the alterations in the character of the nation that took place under, say, the last 20, 30 years of demo- democracy, do we really want to go to war to try to impose this system on other countries? And no. why? If they want to preserve their own identity which is different than ours and their own institutions and the rest of it. So, uh, you know, uh, it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you wonder if you, you can't go home again. No, you can't. Uh, like I, I have just these moments, Pat, and this is personal. This has nothing to do with political, but I have moments where I'm driving around the Washington DC area and I moved 
to this area in 1987, six, uh, middle of 1986. Okay. So I had grown up in Connecticut outside of Hartford, went to school in New Hampshire. So I was always a New England kid. So I moved here after college and I remember the first time I drove out to Dulles Airport, I was I said to my friend, where are we going? Like we're driving through all of this farmland and all this Route 66 was this, you know, beautiful farms sure. and it was it was tiny little nothing. And I said, when are we gonna get to the airport? Where are we going? And yeah. Amazing. And now it's all one big, you know, it looks like some dystopian landscape of you, horrible Ridley Scott movies. During World War II, we moved from Georgetown, which was a poor Irish neighborhood. Oh, my God. <laughs> Got kicked out of our home. My father and four kids moved out to Northwest D.C., up on Chestnut Street, right near Western Avenue. Across the street was uh, Cummings Farm. Big wow. farm went all the way over to Brookville Road, you know. Aww. And of course, that thing, as soon as the guys came home from the war, that all just houses just blossomed and bloomed up there. Mm -hmm. But now the suburbs go out to places we thought were, I mean, Rockville was a country town out there. Nobody went out to Rock. The only thing I remember when I ran in my campaign, I said the only thing I ever knew about Rockville was the drive in theater <laughs> mm. and nothing else. But nowadays, it's go all the way up to. You know, to Thermont and Camp David is virtually suburbs. Yeah. Well, I I remember, I remember going with friends to turkey hunt in Tyson's Corner, out in Tyson's yep, Corner. Uh, I was seven corners. Yeah. At the, uh, at the gas stations out there, and I was it. <laughs> then I say to myself, you know what I say, Pat? I say, this was like I feel like my mom because my mom would drive around in Connecticut. <laughs> would go on Sunday drives. We had no money, so we'd go on a drive, right? And she would say, I remember in the 1930s and, and you know, during the Depression, this was all farmland and look at these houses. And and so I feel like I'm now one of those old people who are like, woe is me. This is all coming. It's all over. But I've got to say, there is something about the, there's something that I think conservatives, conservatives can do better in articulating the goodness and of of conserving beauty in our surroundings Con conserving well, that right. there's, which is objectively beautiful yeah there's there should be you know not only you know and not only with the environment itself the natural environment i mean i remember one of the days i really got outraged because i heard about all this medical waste and garbage floating up on the oh. bethany beach or Pembroke oh. island places you went and everybody's an environmentalist then and there yeah but there's also tremendous beauty and dignity in many of the buildings that were built up in various areas that mm. I've, I've always been an admirer of so look there's an enormous amount to preserve and there's an enormous amount of good in the country and a tremendous number of good people in the country but there's no doubt i think we've gone through almost a a religious cultural conversion that is taking place inside people in the hearts and souls and minds of people. What if that movies where the Stepford Wives, <laughs> <laughs> where they're sub, they're changed internally, well, but they look the same. You know? Yeah, Pat. When I see, when I see, as I saw yesterday. Okay, I was walking in this little area, in a little park in Maryland. Okay, with my dogs. And I'm walking and nowhere, middle, you know, it's no one's around. It's in the woods. And I see these, this couple in their 20s walking along and they're all masked up 
and and they're with each other. Now, I was probably the only person they saw in the last 45 minutes. And they literally threw themselves across the path because, of course, I wasn't wearing a mask. I had one in my pocket, but I wasn't wearing a mask because I can barely breathe in them. And I was by myself and nobody was around me. The ultimate social distancing, nobody's around me. But they throw themselves off the path and they were sighing loudly. Like, how I can't believe you're not wearing a mask. And I'm thinking to myself. Did they demand the dog wear a mask too? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I'm thinking to myself, Pat, my mother worked in a damn thread factory when she was 14 years of age. Where mother was already dead. She was the eldest in her uh, girl in her family. They slept in in the in the bed in the kitchen near the wood stove because they had no heat in Connecticut in the winter. And she never went to college. She was a waitress her whole life. She worked her ass off. She's incredible, excuse my English, but she's incredible work ethic. Never took a dime from anybody. And I'm thinking, you're sighing at me because you're worried about the COVID at age 23 or 24, where you have a 99.997% chance of being absolutely fine. And I'm thinking, what has happened to this country? What has happened to our country? That's, uh, that's the first thing I thought. Well, it's the. Uh, I mean, I have to agree that the, uh, that the. I think the character and toughness of the people who came through the Great Depression, like our parents did, mm. you know, or my parents did, and and came through all of that is. Uh, and then you look at the present, the present generation, what it's offended by and screaming about. Uh, of course, again, you got to tell yourself it's not all of them. You got, uh, you know, tens of millions of young people, and a lot of them are. A lot of them are very solid, very solid, but the ones on display are not necessarily so. No. And Pat, um, I've got to say, you have been through so many political uh, seasons of, well, jubilation, discontent, dejection. And it does, you know, it does seem like it's all hope is lost and things will never Things will never get better. It's all it's hopeless and irredeemable and irretrievable. But as Catholics, as Christians, we believe that this really isn't our home, and this is this this is a temporary stopover. We do the best we can every day. We just that's all you can do is you get up, do the best you can, and try to try to stand up for your own principles and your own family and your own beliefs, and and that's and 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 offer the rest of it up. I'm I'm offering my concern and upset up to God today. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, and you maintain your your sense of humor because at least our adversaries give us a lot to laugh about. <laughs> well, and also they are wildly unfunny, Pat. They are so unfunny. They're not fun. A, a man and a woman. <laughs> <laughs> The best is getting rid of gender. <laughs> hey, I mean, do you, I'm like, dude, I mean, do you know what it is? be better than some of this. <laughs> no, no. It's it, honestly. So, yeah. So we have, we have, we have the truth on our side. We have, uh, I think in many issues, we, on many of these issues, of course, we have God on our side. We have humor on our side and we have historical perspective. So, uh, Pat Buchanan, you're a national treasure. We love you so much. And I hope, I hope to see you in the new year, my friend. Okay, you take it easy, my friend. All right. Good luck. God bless. Pat Buchanan. I will. Pat Buchanan here on The Laura Ingram Show. The other person, other than Pat Buchanan, who I feel we have to hear from today, because again, a lot of Americans want to just throw in the towel. They supported Trump. They supported this 
incredibly successful agenda. They saw all the good that came from it in challenging China and the immigration front, tightened labor market, wages that went up. And they say, well, okay, it's all gone now. It's all, all hope is lost, never going to come back. It's over, perpetual fraud, as far as the eye can see. Uh, all the things that we've talked about, D.C. statehood, Puerto Rico statehood, you know, banning fracking, China on the rise. And I'm, my friends, I'm telling you, you, you have to keep some perspective here. And a, a man who, other than Pat Buchanan, I can't really think of anyone who's been through more political ups and downs, frankly, uh, and understands the history, uh, the con context of history, the sweep of history, that we have to keep in mind here is our friend Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House. Of course, uh, everything in Newt's world we already subscribe to. We join uh, him now, uh, renowned author and historian. Um, Newt, there are a lot of dejected Americans out there, a lot of angry Trump supporters. Uh, what's your message to them today? Well, my message is we have to learn, we have to do better, and we have to fight. And we also have to remember that uh, the other side has problems too. Uh, you know, when, when you have people so radical that the opening prayer in the House this year will ended with a man and a woman because the Pat pastor just joked about the, that. Yeah, Pat just joked yeah. about that, of course, as well, a big Catholic it, himself. <laughs> yeah, but, but, it, but it's a perfect example of why we'll make a comeback very quickly. Uh, when you realize that Nancy Pelosi's new rules for the House uh, abolish father and mother as words. Uh, I mean, this is madness. And I am confident that the, the Biden administration and Schumer and Pelosi will combine to alienate the country very rapidly. I suspect we'll pick up uh, the uh, Warnock seat. He's, you know, he has to come back up again in two years. And I suspect we'll beat him in two years. But the party, you, you have to learn from your defeats. Uh, there were things we did that made no sense. The president's style unnecessarily alienated suburban women. Uh, the the fact is that in Georgia, uh, we have a secretary of state who is closer to the Democratic leader, Stacey Abrams, than he is to the Republicans. And the way in which he set up this election this year is a total disgrace we have to learn from. Uh, and I think we have, there are a lot of these things. On the other hand, I look at the job that uh, was done by Kevin McCarthy where the House Republicans have the most women in their history. They have the most minority members in their history. Uh, there are a handful of votes away from being a majority. And I think given the long range of history, as you pointed out, in my experience, which goes back to uh, 1960 in Georgia, I fully expect that McCarthy will be Speaker in two years. And I suspect that the Republicans will take over the Senate again in two years. Uh, yeah. Because I think that, that I, don't, I don't think Biden can govern in a way that the average American will accept. Now, Newt, what they're obviously signaling to big business today with the massive run-up in the market is that there'll be unending borrowing and spending. Uh, we've already spent, it looks like we'll spend, we'll end up having spent about $5 trillion on COVID. Uh, and it, that's just going to continue, which will ultimately devalue the dollar and, and, and give us all the problems we know come from that. But we see the unending supply of cheap labor. It's going to explode as the, as thousands and thousands are crossing the border illegally as we speak um, in the last two months, at least. So they see that happening. The, the 
businesses see that happening. And so it'll be good in a certain respect for certain well-heeled individuals, even as taxes go up invariably. Um, so how do we, as a, as a movement, sustain the conservative populist agenda while they're flooding the country with, with cheap labor and uh, give away policies of whatever they'll try to do, reparations, bigger checks, the rest? Well, I think we have to, first of all, offer alternatives that are dramatically better for your life and that create a better future for you. I, I think, frankly, uh, with, with the exception of Trump, who is the most aggressive and the most willing to take on uh, the, the sort of traditional system of anybody in my lifetime, even more than Reagan, uh, I would say that, that we have to be prepared to go out there and tell the truth, and, offer, and, and, and but not just be negative. We have to offer a better future. Uh, we have to, I think, uh, for one thing, small businesses are being crushed, and we should be the party in the movement of small businesses. Uh, and I think that we should also be the movement that wants every child to have a decent education, which means inevitably taking on the teachers' unions. Uh, and, and force the country to choose over and over again. But I think that I think they will give us a lot of opportunities to do that. And I think that if you if you watch what's happening, the democratic states and the democratic cities are literally losing population. People are voting with their feet, and we have 24 states that have a Republican governor and a Republican House and Senate. And we should start with those in terms of passing reforms. And passing ways of getting of getting the world to be better. Those are, by the way, the states that have the lowest unemployment rate. Uh, they've had consistently allowed people the most freedom. And I think we want to draw that contrast between living in a place where the government has a limited role versus living in a New York or Chicago or uh, California where it's a disaster. We need to also point out, I think, with some anger, things like in California, the ambulance is now being told. If the person's going to die, don't bring them to the hospital. Mm. Just let them die. I mean, it's just, it's just like literally much like watching the riots in Portland for night after night. You're watching the, the decay of civilization. And I think we ought to be the people who favor, for example, uh, who believe that the, the innocent victim deserves protection more than the guilty criminal. And that's a very clear line between the right and left right now. Yeah, and I think it's it's easy for folks who've worked hard or believed in anything, any movement, any candidate, to become dejected and angry and thinking it's all over. But this is where political futures are made. This is where right opportunities are are ripe for the picking. And uh, I think not only is there a lot of money to be made in this, but there's a, a lot of political momentum to be sure. built and we got to find what? good candidates new new great new candidates including minority candidates in places like georgia and in pennsylvania and arizona oh, and, and people who will come out of the woodwork look in 1964 i was i was in college i actually dropped out for a year to win my first congressional race for for a candidate and barry goldwater is going down to a disastrous defeat and in october they asked ronald reagan uh, to give a nationwide speech called A Time for Choosing, which led to a huge influx of money for that day and age. So as Goldwater is being defeated, 
the man who will carry modern conservatism to victory and defeat the Soviet empire and reform the welfare state and relaunch the American economy is launching his career in a speech on behalf of a candidate who's doomed. And that, that's why I think you, you have to assume there are going to be lots of new players, lots of new ideas. I, I look at Governor DeSantis, for example, in Florida. I'm amazed at how good a job he's doing. I look at the Governor uh, Christy Nome in, in South Dakota. I mean, we have a lot of talent out there, and it will emerge. And frankly, the left will fail. They will not be able to do the things they want to do. I try to remind people that Margaret Thatcher emerged because the Labor Party just so badly destroyed the British economy that they had what they called the winter of discontent. And that winter led to her victory when nobody thought she could win. And from that point on, she she transformed Great Britain. So I'm, I'm pretty confident that by the time Biden and Harris and Schumer and Pelosi are done, that America will be more conservative, more in favor of freedom, more hostile to corrupt bureaucracies, and frankly, uh, tougher about all these oligarchs. I look, I look at uh, people like Zuckerberg are just exactly like the Russian oligarchs, and I think we need to deal. We we need to be prepared to say that and to take them head on. Well, I see that they're already turning their sights on Ron DeSantis. They see that he's the, you know, he's obviously a major force for 2024. I don't know what Trump is going to do, but. Yeah, he'll be a lot older and uh, yet still has an enormous amount of support. But look, DeSantis is a force, but they're already going after him for supposed vaccination frustration and the rollout and confusion and the rollout. And and it's it's so obvious what they're doing. But they look, they see their targets a lot, I think, a lot further in the distance than we sometimes see ours. And they they try to you know they try to do what they can to muddy them up long in advance. Right, and then the challenge for a guy like DeSantis, and he's risen to it now several times, just do a better job. Mm-hmm. You know, and in the end, people realize it, and that's why Florida has been so consistently uh, more and more Republican every two years. Newt, when you look at what's happening in. Uh, States uh, that used to be reliably Republican, a uh, state like Virginia, for instance, that was a pretty conservative state for a long time. It, it, it obviously had a huge wave of immigration, the growth of the federal government, Fairfax County going all the way out to Leesburg, uh, Virginia, uh, Richmond, uh, obviously very liberal. The self-loathing nature of Southern legislators now where every statue has to come down, every vestige of the past has to be ripped out. How how does the party rebuild there when they use the issue of race to shut down debate and discussion of, let's just say, educational curriculum, which is something I'm dealing with with my kids' schools? Sure. Look, I'm I think what we should do is use the issue of race right back at them. They are the people who cheat young black students by trapping them in schools that don't work. They're the people who cheat young black males by trapping them in neighborhoods with no jobs. They're the people who trap young females by having a um, welfare system which is anti-family and anti-mutual commitment. And I think we've got to be prepared to start saying, let's, let's talk about the new racism which is all on the left and all anti-white, 
uh, and and call it what it is, and then and then have we we need this conversation as a country. Mm-hmm. Well, I think when when Thomas Jefferson is now the next target for all for all of these yeah. race hucksters at Georgetown University, and I mean now it's Thomas Jefferson. We got to get rid of him. Oh, I think, and again, I think this is the sort of thing will be fascinating to watch and see how Biden, you know, is Biden really prepared to take down the Washington Monument? Is he really prepared to take down the Jefferson Memorial? I think that overwhelmingly the country would oppose that. But then we have to prepare to go toe-to-toe. Part of what happens is they use nastiness and hostility to drive us off the field because you just, you just feel like you've been slimed when you deal with them. And it's easier to, to, to hide. I'm very encouraged because we have a younger generation coming along that I think of, of, of many, many conservatives who are courageous uh, and who are either in college or just out of college. And they're prepared to stand up and, and fight this out. And I think that's exactly what we have to do. No, I, I agree with you. I'm seeing it even in my uh, kids' classes where – uh, at times where we're seeing a change in the curriculum or speakers who are brought in to address schools and so forth, and they just roll their eyes. So, like, this is ridiculous. Right. I mean, so I think the 15, 16, 17-year-olds, look out when they have to vote. Look out. I think yeah. they're the I, new— yeah, I also think, by the way, I think we need to use humor a lot more. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to do, do a podcast in the near future on the House Democrats' redefinition of words. <laughs> and. Because I think it's better it's better to make fun of it. Yep. You know, Nancy Pelosi on her website describes herself as a mother and a grandmother. Those are those are now, according to the Democratic Party in the House, verboten words. So I want to see how she redoes her website. Oh, my God. Well, she still has grandmother and mother all over her website. And I thought we weren't supposed to use those yeah. terms anymore. Well, so, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. I, I, think we can have, I think we can have fun pointing out how ridiculous they are. Mm-hmm. And that that's actually a more devastating attack than being angry. Yeah. Paging Jonathan Swift. Newt Gingrich, yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> it's so great to talk to you. And yeah. thank you for the perspective. We much, much, much needed it uh, today. So thank, thank you. you so much. Good Happy talking. New Year. All right. Yeah. Newt Gingrich here on the Laura Ingram Show. My friends, now is not the time to hang your head and woe is me. And we'll get through this. We always do. We always have. There'll be setbacks along the way. There'll be battles that need to be fought. There'll be candidates who need to be recruited. But I'm up for the task. Are you? I mean, we're not quitters. The other side got burrowed in and they made some headway. Now, we just have to do the same thing, except we're smarter and have a better sense of humor as Newt Gingrich and Pat Buchanan both pointed out. I think that's interesting that both of them on the Laura Ingram show made the point about humor as a weapon against these fools. And we will use that going forward. Humor, substance, passion, commitment, love of country, love of our founders. And we'll do it with passion, with substance, as I said, humor, a redoubled commitment, a love of our founders, our founding documents, and a willingness to stand up and be heard without fear. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to recruit some great candidates along the way and, and watch who emerges over the next several months. You'll see a lot of interesting new faces. All right, this is the Laura Ingram Show. We have a a long road ahead, but I'm suiting up. I'm ready. I got a bad left uh, hand right now, but at least it's not my right. I gotta gotta look at the glass half full. It's not my right, it's my left. I I won't bore you with the details, but suffice it to say, never rip 
the thumb ligament off the bone. Okay, never do that. It's not fun. You're listening to The Laura Ingram Show. We'll see you next time.